Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This episode is from last year and it is a replay with the wonderful Emma Jane Unsworth, award-winning novelist and screenwriter. Her latest novel, Adults, is out now and it's a comedy about a 30-something woman whose life is falling apart and her rather strange relationship with social media. Her previous novel, Animals, was a huge success. It was adapted into a film and Emma wrote the screenplay for it and she's currently adapting Adults for television at the moment. Since this episode aired, I also wanted to shout out to her amazing memoir, After the Storm, which came out this year in 2021. And it's an incredible piece of writing, breaking the silence on postnatal depression. I really recommend it. It's a really powerful, powerful read. Hope you enjoy re-listening to this episode or listening to it for the first time. Here is the conversation. I'm so thrilled to be joined by Emma Jane Unsworth, huge fan of all your work for years. And now we get to kind of work together in upcoming events. Likewise. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. It's a double Emma whammy. I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, can't wait. We've got so much to talk about. Before we dive into adults, which is just a phenomenal Sunday Times bestseller. Everyone has absolutely loved it. You've dug into some real issues that are going on right now. Um, Can we just talk a little bit about the whirlwind of animals? Because I read that when it first came out and I loved it so much. And to see all of the success of the film and everything... Talk me, talk to me about well, it. Well, thank you so much. I will never forget one of the first book events that I did in a bookshop for for the book of animals. I saw your beautiful, bright, shining face in the crowd, and then we had a little chat afterwards, and we'd kind of followed each other on social media, and and we knew each other a bit, and it was just like a lovely, kind of reassuring, friendly, um, but yeah, beacon of light in, in in the audience. So I'll never forget that, and I just feel like um, it's it's really great to be on here now talking to you after such a wild journey with it because it really has been the whole the story of of that story really has been has been wild in itself so so yeah the book came out in 2014 and then the film took a long time to 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 get together and and eventually came out last year and we premiered at Sundance which was amazing and um and I wrote the screenplay which was even more amazing and now do you know I look back on on that whole sort of promo um journey that because because I went to Sundance and now I look back and I think that was really amazing because normally the writer would never get to do all of that stuff. And they were so nice to me. They really included me in it. Whereas normally it's in Hollywood, it's like, the writer, you know, who cares? You know, it's like, it's all about the director. It's all about the stars. But I was like there on all the pictures, like double thumbs up. You're like, Mrs. G's, here she is. And, um, and that was just so nice. I was really, really involved and I'm so grateful for that. And it was such a lovely, gentle introduction to the world of screenwriting, which for a lot of writers, for a lot of novels, novelists who have their novels adapted, it's a big scary world and it can you can end up with something that is miles away from from what you originally created and you feel like you've had your heart ripped out but that was very much not the case for me it was it was just it was wonderful and everyone I worked with especially the director and the producer who originally optioned it Sarah Brocklehurst they were just so lovely to me and so protective of me and real guides and I feel like we kept the heart of it true and that was just really did and that just meant the world that is so amazing because you're right. I never really thought of it, but yeah, you don't really see the writer necessarily in the lineup, no. you know, doing all the press stuff and being really involved. But yeah. you know, your your voice is was is at the heart of it all. So it would be silly not to. But do you think sometimes if it's a memoir or something like that, then the writer is like 
allowed yeah, in. Yeah, maybe. But... Yeah, definitely more so. Um, but I think that what's happening now is that we've got so much melding in between what's fiction and what's semi-autobiographical fiction and what's non-fiction and what's memoir. And it's a really interesting time to be writing in and to be reading in. Um, and I think what I write is semi-autobiographical anyway. And the people I work with tend to know that. And, and I'm quite vocal about that. So so it was, in a lot of ways, something that had I'd drawn on my life, you know, for, for the details. of, um, And that all that said though that the director Sophie Hyde she really put her stamp on it and I really think she brought out so much in the story that that made the film a completely new creation as well even though the heart of it was still true about this friendship between these two women that was potentially coming to an end um, and getting quite toxic um, I think what Sophie brought to it and what she drew out was was the main character Laura's relationship with her work and how yeah. hard it is to be a creative woman and how hard it is to find your voice um, and yeah uh, what all of that means and whether you yeah. can really in inverted commas have it all and and have the full life with you know your social life and your relationships and what whatever you're doing or not doing with your body and then create stuff as well or be a curator of your own career you know yeah. to make it um, broader um, and, and that was really interesting to me I was like yes that's so good I'm so glad that that's really brought out in the film. Totally. And as a consumer of it, it was so lovely to have the book and almost like keep that intimate relationship with the book. Because sometimes you're like, no, the characters like look slightly different to me or something. <laughs> and then with the film, you've got it set in Dublin and so it's slightly different already just by the location, but you yeah. fall in love with the characters in a in a new way, but you feel like you know them. Yeah. But you probably won't be surprised to hear one of my favourite bits in the film is when she um she kind of like almost drops the baby <laughs> or she like what, she spills that's something right. on it that's right yeah they, they do Tyler nearly falls off the sofa because they've been drinking before going to meet a baby which is never advisable um, and and then yeah they they open they, she spills a glass of red wine um, over the baby <laughs> and that was I wasn't there for the filming of that scene I went over the um, for the shoot so good. Um, but the, apparently the baby was way too chilled <laughs> apparently the baby was like they were throwing it wasn't wine I hasten to add but some kind of reddish liquid that was completely non-toxic was going on the baby and the baby was just like yeah. staying asleep and another director was like mm, we, we kind of need a bit more of a reaction ideally <laughs> come on baby and the baby into your role yeah, absolutely feel it and the um and the baby's mum was saying oh she's got a big brother who's a toddler she has stuff thrown at her all the time she's just really relaxed about this the baby was too too chilled <laughs> sums up babies really I feel like they're just fine um but I wondered f from the point of view of knowing you from your novels how was it writing a script was this the first script you've ever written or it was it was wow. it was and it was so hard um and it literally was about 20 drafts 25 drafts I'm not kidding um and but it was something I'd always wanted to do I'd always wanted to do screenwriting um and I think the way that I write as a novelist is quite visual, if that makes sense. So um, I tend to write and think in scenes. I write a lot of vignettes and a lot of things that are um, set pieces, I suppose. And I use a lot of metaphors that are very much about look, the way things look. And, and in my head, I think I was always trying to do a little bit of that, even through the prose. So um, that said, it was such it was such a big move and it was such a big sort of um, learning curve. And there are so many traps that you fall into, like as a novelist, especially if you write first person, which I tend to, um, then you just want the whole thing to be voiceover essentially. <laughs> and, and you can't get away with that um, because it's apparently the directors don't like it. It's considered a bit naff. Um, so you have to find ways of doing it. So the first draft had loads and loads and loads of voiceover in it. 
Um, and then the final draft and the, the film actually has none. <laughs> they, they got it out, you know, draft wow. by draft. They gradually got it out of there. Um, and you have to learn all new devices, ways to deal with the past, for example. So in novels, you have ways and techniques and devices that, that you know, you deal with the past. But in film, you have to some, sometimes sum up a ca- to some character's entire history in one shot. Right. It's kind of like the exposition. The hell? Yeah, exactly. I've learned that word recently. Yes, so yes, I'm, I'm, I'm using it a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's so true. And it's are you, how are you going to do that? Are you going to have photos around, which is a really common way to do it. A photo of some people in the past, and then you know their past, you know, an instant. Um, but the, but yeah, you have to learn this whole new language. Um, but but I feel like I'm you know getting better at it. I learned so much in that process, partly because I had such good people working with me and guiding me through it very sympathetically and patiently but um but because I was keen and that was just you know something that I was really hungry to do um and I feel like I've got better and better at that and and now I'm sort of I'm adapting adults my new book for tv and I'm starting to think as I'm doing that adaptation almost like how it's going to look on the screen so kind of what okay, what's going to be in the shot? How are we going to do, like, how are we going to deal with things like text messages and emails on screen? So maybe starting to think a bit more like a director, maybe. Mm. I know there's a long way to go on that. But but I think for me, sort of in terms of ambition, in, in a few years, I would love to try directing. I would love to have a go at that and just sort of, I'd have to shadow a director. I'd have to learn to work with actors, all those things that, that directors amazing. do that writers don't. But that's kind of my next goal, I suppose. Oh, that's so amazing. Because I mean, the fact that it was one of your first scripts and the fact that you've been nominated did you win nominated for a BAFTA well, it, I was long listed for a BAFTA I mean, and then I won a BAFTA incredible it's incredible <laughs> thank you well I can't yeah. wait I'm going to consume everything you make <laughs> um you. so let's talk about adults because it's just a wild ride to read it's hilarious it's heartfelt but it's also a little bit triggering <laughs> because it kind of taps into the heart of a lot of anxieties I think we've all got at the moment. Yeah. The vignettes and the kind of, it's kind of like a frantic, almost near the beginning as well, you're you're kind of following Jenny. She's a bit all over the place and that's through the format as well. I wondered, I know you had something to say about maybe attention span or like how you were writing at the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the book for me sprang out of so many places of panic and worry and pain um even though it's a comedy because i really like to to turn the things that scare me the most into comedy if i possibly can so like a lot of writers i guess um so with this it was a lot of my fears about the age that i was when i started writing it which was 35 which was which felt significant in so many ways biologically if you know i was thinking about children which i was um and then also, um, social media and what that's done, to, what that has the potential to do to my brain, I suppose, when I've been at very vulnerable and fragile times in my life. Um, so, for example, off the wake of a breakup, I think that I, re- you know, that there have been times when I've really spun out on there and I've really ended up coming away from there literally with my heart beating faster and like the adrenaline surging around me. It's always, I always find it interesting when, when we make this um, division between the sort of the, the physical and the bodily and the digital and the digital world, because, because for me, a lot of the times when I've been really strung out in the digital world, it's, it's had very, very physical manif- manifestations and I've found my heart beating faster. I've been sweating. I've been like, you know, proper fight or flight mode. Yeah, um, yeah. And all of that, I thought, okay, there's something here that I really want to tap into and write some fiction from because because there's something really dark here as well as something that we use every day and is really brilliant and positive in so many ways but there's a capacity here for something really scary and dark and and I'd like to tap into a bit of that but make a comedy of modern social manners I suppose and the way that we all communicate 
online with each other. Um, I remember years and years ago when when the internet was was relatively young, um, a friend of mine said social media should be used the way that the Elizabethans used fans, which I think is really interesting. Just like a little flourish or a little nod or a little come hither. Whereas I think it's definitely become something very different now. And everyone uses it differently and and, and that's quite right. But um, but I'm so interested. I think we live in, a, in an amazing age. And um, and I know this is something that you talk about so much and, 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 um, and so brilliantly explore. But I think that, you know, the fact that we are alive in this age when the internet has come as as you know changed the, the the landscape culturally of the way we all communicate it's like it's it's fascinating it's brilliant in a way we almost can't analyze it until you know it's a few years down the line we're going to look back and go whoa that was like when they made the wheel you know something yeah, that's kind of yeah. completely changed everything and so so i suppose as a novelist i wanted to to tap into to a a, a bit of of how that affects a woman in crisis and mm. and how i can draw comedy out of that um because i also think that the things that that we, social media gets blamed for a lot of things and and i i think that the human condition actually doesn't change all that much over time and i think that that the that social media is a good prism to look at um at, at things within the human condition that, that get magnified for example the way that we're always scared about being liked and we're always scared about how we present ourselves and we're always scared about being authentic and whether we you know whether the version of us is true that we are in any room with any, at any given time that's just been there since you know the beginning of, of humans interacting and yeah. so so i think social media is, is a great magnifying glass for looking at that and i suppose i was also interested in how it can often affect women differently. Um, in my experience, my perception of it, I know it's dangerous to generalise, but but I think women often have a much harder time on there. Yes. Well, the central kind of narrative around the competition between Jenny, well, not competition, but this sort of jealousy obsession with Susie Brambles who is on Instagram by the way yes she is so (laughs) love that but that is interesting in itself because I don't want to generalise either but it does seem quite a female thing to really become quite obsessed with another woman Mm. in that way of constantly wanting to know what they're doing mm-hmm. and I just find that fascinating as well so fascinating and I know when I've even when I've been spinning out on social media after breakups in the past I've been you know obviously you stalk your ex a bit and see what they're up to but then but then I think I've been drawn to then becoming a bit obsessed with women on there and because I suppose it's a it's something within me that's projecting telling me who I want to be or what I want to be like or there's some need within me that they are fulfilling and I think it's like it's it's some kind of aspiration or some kind of yeah character or personality aspiration or something deep within that is making me drawn to yes. that person and I think that where Jenny um the character in the book is at that takes a really sort of sharp um dark turn because um because actually the, this person that she's obsessed with online becomes part of her real life without wanting to give too much away but but she yeah she finds herself in a real room with her because I'm so interested in that disconnect as well yes because in some of the reviews of the book I feel like people a few people have said that Jenny is almost like a mirror to the reader mm-hmm. in an uncomfortable way in some ways but how we get to know the real people in her life and we get to see her getting more obsessed with her phone and emails and draft emails, mm-hmm. some of my favourite bits in the book. But she is, we are watching her shut off some of her real, in real life relationships. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like, oh, am I doing that a bit? Maybe. Yeah. And I, I do really hope it's relatable in that way, because I think like with animals, I suppose, which was so extreme in so many ways about their intoxication, their wild, crazy nights out. Um, but I think that 
hopefully a, a lot of readers related to them still because because I always push things to the extremes because because I like farcical humour and I like that comedy that comes when you really push it. So the same in this book, it's really extreme her behaviour. It's and some people hate it. <laughs> some people are like this is on Twitter. Didn't someone yeah. tag you? They are all holding the book, smiling, going, "Love this book. It's the best book ever." <laughs> Jenny's a bit of a twat, <laughs> and I was like, "That's I so funny." <laughs> and I was like, "Do I respond to this as me or like Jenny? Do I get really, really bothered about this?" But um, there's a lovable. I know that yes. um, the whole unlikable women thing is like, yeah, yeah. What, but I feel my some of my best friends call me a twat. <laughs> and they love me. Well, apparently that's the thing. The people who know you best apparently are the most, the people who are most offended by your social media use because apparently they see the difference. If there is a difference, which usually there is if you're normal. Um, and so, so, so yeah, I think that a lot of my close friends have had issues with the way I've been on social media in the past because they've been like, that's not you or that doesn't sound like you or that didn't happen then. Or that, and and I'm, that is so interesting. And and it's, it's never, well, one time it did, it did kind of cause a bit of a fallout, but there was other stuff going wrong with that relationship anyway but but I think that that you know that yeah that that kind of that that dishonesty that's perceived by your friends is something that that you have a very different view of yourself when when you're actually doing it because you're just aware that this is a way this is a different medium this is a different way of communicating and and I think that Jenny's is an extreme version of that but I know even now that I'm you know years on from from starting to write that book so far away from so much of where Jenny's at but at the same time, I still sometimes count the number of kisses I put on emails in response to people. <laughs> or I, I mean, I'm quite sort of um, hyper maybe, but but I use a lot of exclamation marks and I just, I'm, you know, I'm quite exuberant in the way that I communicate, I suppose. But I know if someone, if I do send an exuberant email and someone replies very toned down, then I'll respond in that way. So yeah. it's kind of mirroring and I'm like, does that make me strong or does it make me weak? Does it make me strong because I'm connecting and communicating? Is that just a female thing to do? Um, or does it make me weak? And I'm just, be... yeah, I'm just like trying to be like them. Oh, I'm like you. And But I think something I've realised in the last year is that I'm becoming more of a one-kiss person rather than a two-kiss person. I don't know whether that means I'm growing up. See, that's the thing about Jenny is when she analyzes the whole like, oh God, what did this person think? Like, have I put a smiley face? Have I put the wrong emoji? Am I, what am I, like, do they hate me? It's like that, a lot of us do think that way all the time when we're on social media. Have, you know, is yeah. my caption cringe? Have I put too many hearts? But I find now that I've tried to be consistent in the amount of kisses and things so that I've got like a stamp because I yeah. used to be so like heart on sleeve that if I didn't put a kiss, I was annoyed. And if I put three kisses, it meant I was having a good day and I don't want to be that see-through. So I was like, be more consistent, Emma. That's it. I love it. I love it. You've got like your own key to respond to. This is brilliant. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and obviously there, there are days when that when you feel worse about that, when one feels worse about that than others and one, or one is more aware of that um than than other times um but i think but i think yeah as a, a digital comedy of manners that that was really fast and furious and pacey and actually quite exhausting because everything that we've just been talking about is actually quite exhausting well, well. i'm having a hundred <laughs> thoughts while you're speaking yeah. because i have there's so much to unpack it's almost like it is kind of like a manic like oh my god what are we doing yeah yeah it's so true and, and i have that and i'm sure you know that's that's just in a way that's what that's what social media creates because you are you it's a broadcast in in a way um and i think that if you're in any way you're kind of a, an anxious person or even just a, a sensitive person then you're you're 
you're thinking about all those, you know, all those directions that that broadcast is going in and you're trying to ratify all of that in your brain simultaneously. And, and, and how am I being seen yes. by, by these hundred people? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that meme that's like, do you ever go into your sent items and read the email from their point of view? Like, do you ever pretend to be someone else and read your stuff? I always reread my sent emails or quite often if I have time, I do. And I'm like, is that okay? Yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> and the same with, um, like there's a statistic apparently that is that we check our own social media profiles and scroll through them way more than other people's. I'm sure that's true. We're just, we literally read our social media like it's. Yeah. I'm sure a, that's a true. manuscript. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. So yeah, I think hopefully the book does 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 show the silliness of that. And and I guess what I wanted it to do is make people who would who would who had spun out as much as me on there feel a bit less alone and a bit less ashamed and a bit less like they were in some way crazy. Um, and the same the same thing about you know women with their bodies in their mid thirties too. You know, I felt like I was spinning out in in a similar way in a way that I was getting obsessed and almost I want to be careful around the word addiction, but there was an addictive quality to it, to the way that I was dealing with my behavior on social media and also the way I was thinking about my body and fertility and all those big, huge questions that I felt I was being forced to consider, partly by society, but also just by biology, which mm. you kind of can't fight, which is so scary. Did you find writing the book, and this is going to sound more cheesy when it comes out than I'm planning to, but did it help you work through those things writing the book or was it just that actually it was an idea that you wanted to explore? No, it helped. It definitely, definitely helped because I think um, when you fictionalise something, you make it abstract and that just helps because it makes it hurt less and it puts it, it pushes it towards other people to then make it more of an exchange and it's it's that sharing, mm -hmm. I think, which is really helpful. Um and it does help you just see something from the outside. But I think, you know, as you know, it takes so long for, for a book to come out from the point you submit it, it's usually at least, at least a year. So I think I'd cleared enough emotional distance during that time as well. Um, so that, you know, coupled with the devices that I'd used and the way that it become a form, um, that that just made yeah it doesn't it doesn't hurt anymore really it makes me cringe a bit still the bit you know some when I'm reading it when I'm reading it readings I'm like, I do a cringe and I wither a bit inside um, because I wonder I if everyone has that like no matter what you know rereading your own work I don't know it's yeah. like a little bit of distance always yes. between the two always yeah I think but there's still I think I guess you know that's true then there's truth in it though I think that's it's still good to just have that that little little stab of pain every time yeah. you read it but surely um, as well a lot of writers to even get to the point of being able to finish a book they have to pretend no one's going to read it and so then that's yeah, why it is sort like of no weird when you read it yeah and it is it's that it's the other end of the spectrum isn't it I think it's you write something especially with a novel it's a tete-a-tete -tete. you write it in solitude to be read in solitude usually but then when you're then performing it at the other end it's it's such a different way um it's, it's almost odds with the way that it was created but it's a different part of the process it's a different phase of the book's life and and I think I do enjoy doing readings but but then yeah they they, they do make me have feelings that I'm not always prepared for too yeah oh god this, this is why we do it isn't it all these feelings self-torture
with your actual writing itself, I've li- I've listened to you on some other podcasts about your process. I'm obsessed with that stuff. But I, love I know that you too. did an amazing Instagram post recently, which, by the way, I love following you on Instagram. I'm, uh, my new thing is like, I actually find novelists very comforting and like wholesome on Instagram. Dude, I feel like I'm a bit rubbish on there though. I feel like I'm not re- regular enough. Uh, I feel like you and Jesse Burton and like just oh, yeah. lovely Jessie writers Burton, who are just sharing interesting things like the one that um stuck with me was when you you said I haven't actually ever had a desk or, or this yeah. is the first time I've actually been able to carve out my own space and you've always been writing all over the place and I thought totally that's amazing that you've got yeah. that now and it's not Completely. and it's simple it's like you all you need is a little space that's yours it doesn't have to be this like interior like desk porn marble yeah. topped thing yeah no completely completely I think that you just need a little and, and for me it's about view and it's about light if I'm at a window that's great yeah, you know I can a just, lovely view and then I can kind of have even if the room's a complete tip behind me and full of like reminders of my domesticity and everyday life it doesn't matter because I can just turn my back to it and then the whole world then is just the light and just what you know the screen that I'm looking at and that is so important because it's just not not everyone has a study that would be my dream my dream would be my study I used to have a study and it's now my son's bedroom which is probably you know something I need to have to think a good think about at some point but you know just all happened in such a rush um but but yeah the, the dream is to 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 soon get an actual office or like Jessie Burton's got a writing shed oh God, in the I'm garden obsessed. Which is amazing, and so she's so good at decorating as well. I'm like, I'm obsessed with her. I'm obsessed. Interior design, it's just gorgeous. I've basically just got a Pinterest page that <laughs> she's like my Susie Brambles of, of interiors. <laughs> um, but no, because I wondered with that with someone who is so so creative, like you're you are working on things at the moment, re- writing things all the time. How do you balance? That's a, a million dollar question, isn't it? Mm. Of like carving out time for your projects mm. when you've also got stuff like films and red carpets and yeah. trips and it's, podcasts. It's kind of crackers at the moment. I mean, I'm very grateful for it all, but but I've, yeah, I'm doing a lot at the moment. I'm doing um, three TV projects, a memoir. I've got a new novel to do later on this year and a couple of films as well. And that sounds crackers when I say that out loud, but... Um, and a and column. And a column every week as well. Yeah, that's right. That's my new column. Um, and so, so yeah, and I think if I'd have said, if I'd have heard myself say that five years ago, I'd have had some kind of meltdown because I just thought that's impossible. Firstly, that's impossible. But, and also that's not like how I like to work. I like to just be really focused on one thing, going deep, like on one novel or whatever I'm doing. But now I'm actually very different. And I think I'm very different for a number of reasons. I think partly because after I had my son, my brain broke and I had to kind of rebuild it again and, and get back because I had postnatal depression and I had to find new ways of of recovering from that and new ways of working with him and with with my, my brain which is so much better which is completely better now and and in some ways you know it, it does different things now which which I'm you know I'm, I'm grateful for even though it's horrendous what what I went through and what lots of women went through um but I think you know partly because of that it meant that that I'm I now am I do things differently I just have to do things differently partly because I've actually got a three-year-old who I have to work around I can't go away for like weeks on end on writing retreats I go for short like I go for a week max usually um but I used to go away for like three weeks in a, in a motorhome around the highlands and that was like my dream way to write can't do that anymore and are you and, more productive though in the week well think? yeah I, I think that knowing you, that you've only got the week yeah I mean I think that that I am within when I know if I know I'm a great crammer so if I know I've got to get him at nursery at five o'clock 
then I'm going to be hella productive between like three and five. It's like, that is when I'm going to really go for it and have a great blast. Um, so, so in that way, yeah, I'm great with the deadline. Like a lot of writers, that is really good for me. Um, but also I think I didn't know how screenwriting worked. And I think screenwriting works in, in a different way because it takes so long to get things in development that in a way you, you need to have a few things going on at once and it doesn't make it messy. It just means that, that, they're all probably going to take at least a year to, to get places. So you'll do a bit of work on one treatment one day, then you'll work on that pitch another day. And so so even though it sounds a lot when you, when you say it all together, it's actually, you can compartmentalise mm-hmm. it. And I, they're all at different stages. All at different stages. Yeah. Because yeah. So, I, I remember asking an agent once, like, when you know, we you know when someone looks after 20 people, you know, all on their roster. Yes, I'm this like, is such a good I'm comparison. Like, how, I literally was like, how do you how are you still alive? Like, mm. And she was like, oh no, it's it's because this person is at proposal stage. This person's already done the book. This person's... So she was like, I'm actually only ever working with like maybe four people at really intensely face at once. Face to face, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh. Yes. That's I don't, know if that's a, I don't know if that's a good analogy at it all, is. but it it's was really, like... It's really, really good. It is because it's, it's, it's like that everything's at a different stage. And so it's, it's easy to split your head, you know, over those things. You could even do three of those things over the course of a day, a couple of hours on each. And it's not, um, yeah, you know, but but I also think that's the sort of way of working that I probably had for longer than I realise in some ways, because I think it's always, it's always been a struggle, for, you know, finding time to write. And it's always mm-hmm. been a struggle kind of making sure that that pure writing time had its own little place that was, that was kept quite sacred. I think kid or no kid, whatever, you know, whatever stage of your life or, you know, whatever your responsibilities are writing time is hard finding time to write is hard and getting yourself in the right headspace to do it is is just hard and it's funny because my thing um you know when you i don't know if you have this but i used to get anxious if i knew i wasn't having much sleep or Mm. you know when you're like oh i've got seven hours so right go to sleep and then you lie awake because you're like you want to (laughs) sleep sometimes i feel like my writing time i get anxious about how long i have to write and then i like waste it by feeling anxious that I don't have enough time that's it you can it's, have too much time in a way yeah you, to so think. stolen pockets of time yeah are perfect yes that's why I like the deadlines that's, that's so true that's why I like because I don't have any time to even analyze the fact that I've got a certain amount of time yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's it. You don't just overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, so it's just amazing, like watching, because talking about the, when you just touched on the postnatal depression, that's what your memoir's about. It is. Yeah. 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 But it's going to be a funny book about postnatal depression. Um, I hope. That's going to be so incredible. I feel like we're, we're starting to really talk about this stuff, but mm. it still feels like there's a lot more to crack open and discuss. and So much. So much. About. I mean, it's kind of, there, are, there are some really interesting studies being done now because the book's been published by the Wellcome Trust and um, Profile Books that they've sort of teamed up and um, they've got this new book, new series of books called Lifelines, which is where writers write about health, mental health. Um, and you can use all of Wellcome's archives, which is so exciting. That's so I've really got like cool. a Wellcome library card, which I'm very proud of. And you can go and work in there and feel like, you know, it's all like, it's lovely and sciencey and I feel like I'm back at uni. It's really fun. Um, and there are some new studies being done on postpartum mental health, but so few. And obviously it's such a huge thing. And yet, you know, here we are, you know, in this day and age and, and we know so little about what, what actually happens to women's brains mm-hmm. during pregnancy, during childbirth and then after in early motherhood. We just don't know. And that, for me, that makes the the risk, if you like, of motherhood so much greater because you just don't know what your brain is going to do. And, and, and you know, your body, you, you, that's unpredictable too, but it just feels like pure chaos. <laughs> and so so I just like to, yeah, lessen the chaos, chaos a little if possible. But but more than that, just put something out there that 
that will be there for women to read you know for, or for their partners to read if you know they they feel like they don't know what's going on because I just didn't know what was going on I didn't yeah. know what was wrong with me I've never had depression before I just didn't know what what was up with me and I felt yeah. it, it manifested as fury and as rage so a lot of the time it wasn't like I was crying I just really hated everyone in the world and wanted to punch cyclists like on the cycle path when they got in the way of my buggy things like that just like which can be exhausting I'm sure awful so exhausting but it's amazing that you're on the other side of it now that you that, that you're writing the memoir with with that so I, I'm, I'm imagining it, mu- it will be hard to write in places because you're going to yeah. go back there a little bit but the fact that you've got that hindsight as well is kind of incredible yeah and I because I think that I was talking about this the other day actually I think with memoirs, if, if, if you've got an, an idea for a memoir, what, whichever year of your life you write that in, it will be a different memoir because of how you're, you're viewing it through the prism of the past and from where you are and what your life is now. So I think it feels really important for me to write this memoir now because of how I feel, because I'm still, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've got sufficient distance from the experience to be able to analyse it a bit, but it's still raw-ish in my head and and it's still I haven't forgotten it it hasn't been kind of nicely fiction hazily fictionalized um by my memory and so so I want to get it down now because I know that this is feels like the prime time to do it really and so that because I couldn't find anything written I mean um I looked and looked even after I had the the diagnosis when I actually knew what I was looking for I could find so little especially um that there were stats a few stats you know not many um but but nothing from written from you know a personal point of view yeah that that I could relate to and so so that's why I really want to put something out there as well that and I was really scared about doing it too because obviously everything goes online these days and and you know my son is going to be on the, he's three now, but he's going to be on the internet pretty soon, and he's going to find it. And because it came from a Guardian article, it did. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I, it was, that was, it was an incredible piece. piece. And actually, that that's what prompted um, the idea for it to be a book because the reaction to that piece was so amazing. So many women got in touch. So many women I knew got in touch. So many my friends, wow. and just said I had something like this, and and I was like, why we've never we've never talked about this, and and that was really crazy. And so. So yeah, but but I was so scared before I wrote that piece that my son would find it in later life and think that he wasn't loved or that he'd just have something to hate me for, which I know mm-hmm. sounds pathetic, but but I think that's part of what is maybe why that, that's part of the reason why so many women haven't opened up about it who've suffered from it because they've been afraid of what their kids would think. When ironically it's probably actually so much better, isn't it? Because imagine if you look back and went, "Oh, I wondered why my why didn't my mum not like? Why was she having a bit of a weird year that year? Yeah, why did she was she so it me? angry on that picture? <laughs> and then you think, why oh, wow. that cyclist? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like knowing more about your own mum is like kind of amazing gift, I think. Yeah, I I think so because I think we're all we, that connection, that human connection. Have you read Philippa Perry's book, which is amazing? Yes. Um, the, the book we wish our parents had read. Um, I, and, and there was a, a bit in that that really struck a chord with me where she says, you know, our, our, our children just want us to be human. They want us, I'm, I'm paraphrasing her really badly now probably, but, but you know, our children don't want us to be perfect. They want us to be human because that's how we can have empathy for each other. That's how we can really relate and feel what each other's feeling. And 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 I think, yeah, that's, that's bang on. That's so true. And, and that's why it's so nice to both be adults, um, like with your parents now, like with 
my relationship now it's like my dad asks me for advice sometimes and it's cool. the most beautiful thing because yeah. you know it's like the six-year-old man just going well, what do you think about this and I'm yeah. like oh because we're both people you're both people and I don't need him to be this perfect like yeah. even though I will ring him if I have a breakdown on the side of the road still yeah. it's like you, they don't have to have the answers all the time it's true I think because what we often forget is that people don't raise children they raise people and this is a person and he will have his own thoughts and own opinions about things really soon probably not long after he starts using the internet and and I want to hear what he's got to say and and he'll hopefully I'm raising him to be compassionate and to be kind and to be a feminist and hopefully he will you know he'll get it he'll get why I wrote that piece and why it's important that women share these experiences and why it's really important that we're not silenced yeah. um and he'll understand and he'll yeah. he'll champion it because you know that's Aww. that's yeah. hopefully Definitely. so so yeah so it's so, so I sort of told myself right I've got to get this out there and and then yeah the response was amazing and and so now it's going to be a book so exciting what an what an exciting rest of 2020 you're gonna have yeah and it's so fun to watch um so for anyone listening by the way because i do have some american listeners it's out in america adults is out out in america it's coming out in may but it's going to be called grown-ups in in america because of it yeah there's another book that that had a, a title that was to do with adults that was too similar Amazing. All right. Well, go and buy it, people, because it's brilliant. Like everyone I know read it in, I think, maybe the way you wrote it in a way of you read it very quickly. I read it in like two days and I just, I was obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for having me, Emma. Thank you. 